Hello and welcome to the Leaders Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us in yet another sunny day in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Mark Newland, owner and managing director of Abram Associates. Abram Associates is an engineering company that provides quality design solutions that generate revenue for their customers. Mark, hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on the show today. We might as well dive straight in. What does the word leader mean to you? Well, it means many things. Um, it's changed over the course of my life, I guess. Um, like you, lead, leader is someone who tends to take control of uh, situations to achieve particular ends. And really, it's involved in working with people. Uh, you know, it's a very important thing. It's involved a lot of people's skills and things I've tried to build up for most of my life. And how would you describe your personal leadership uh, style? My style? I'm still learning that. It's a developing thing. Um, I did uh, join a, a speaker's group um, a few years ago, and one of the things that they do help you to do is try and identify your style. So I guess it's a bit of a moving target. But um, I tend to like to empower people. I like to give them all the information they need and try and get them to do as much as they can. I think people respond better to being empowered and giving them all, all the way with all necessity to you know, carry on their job. And you don't want people coming to you every five minutes, how do I do this, how do that? Let them make decisions and let them give them the best uh, training so they can make quality decisions. Actually, as a whole, the group of people, you've got a little empowered people together. They're a very powerful thing. You can get far more done with uh, that sort of team. Now, tell me, when you were first starting out in your career, was there a particular influence on you that made you the leader you are today? Mm, yes, I guess so. Uh, I suppose, like a lot of things in life, you, you learn by example, not only how to do things, but how not to do things. And I've come across many people who caused me quite a lot of trouble looking back on it in my, in my earlier life. And the way they responded to problems, and particularly when things went wrong, um, had one particular individual, I won't name names, but when things went wrong, they went absolutely berserk. And as a, as a young apprentice, as I was at the time, this was quite shocking. And mm. this has stuck with me. And I think this is just a classic way of how not to behave. When something goes wrong, fine, keep calm, look at what went wrong. And I think if someone had made a mistake, and it cost lots of money, you said, well, you're not going to get rid of them for any reason, it's not that, that serious. Well, treat this as a training program. It costs X. Learn from it. Let's look at what went wrong, why it went wrong, and how you can take steps to sort of happen in the future. So these are some of the things I've, I've learned. Is, uh, and I try and use those skills today and working with people. And uh, take a lot of my history, really. Again, I think leadership and uh, people that influence your life, you meet different people throughout your life, and it's a continually evolving process. And of course, leaders and the people that they lead are both human beings, and human beings, of course, are fallible, and they have their own uh, scrapes and issues with each other. How do you deal with uh, issues arising between your staff members? You mean uh, conflict between staff? That's right. Um. It's a dynamic thing. 
you have to take each case as it comes up. But you, as, I said, you, as you said, that people are individuals and every circumstance is a, a different uh, set of circumstances around it. And how you tackle it is a different way. I mean, a lot of it's down to experience. You have a gut reaction to how to behave. But I think in the day, if it is a difficult situation, you sometimes need to take it at a time. Like any problem, problem solving process, if it's not always appropriate or possible, but if you can take it at a time, think about it for some of a few minutes and our next day sometimes to try and come up with a better uh, solution to the problem. Um, if you can wait, it's always better in solving problems. So time is, is a good thing. Or discuss it with peers, mentors, etc., colleagues, etc., people I trust and know. And that, that's often the way of getting things. But between people, okay, it's a very dynamic thing and there's no real right one answer mm-hmm. for um, any particular problem. It's down to down to circumstances and the people involved. Um, you, so you really have to take it as a as it, each one comes. But there are some rough uh, ways of tackling things, uh, right and wrong. So you can bring your training course and we talked about all this stuff. Um, so yes, there are. You can pigeonhole certain circumstances, but you know it's never cut and dry, perfect. Mm-hmm. Now, if I was a young secondary school student who was interested in a career in engineering. What advice would you give me? This is interesting because I often get involved with this particular, this very thing. I've had, I've had uh, a young chap recently who came to see me. I took him on for a couple of days. It's worth experience in the local secondary school. And I also go into secondary school as well and give them what's like a team of people um, of a mentoring type uh, day where you're working with the students and they're asking questions like, I'm going to go into the big adult world, work, world of work. What's it like? What's it for me? And so, if they want to go into engineering design, it's a it's a very good career to go into. It's grown a lot recently. There are actually a shortage of engineers at the moment, so they're in demand. You know, the pay is quite good, or very good in some cases, depending on how well you get on. I would look at the individual and depending on what their aspirations are. Now, if they they're not sure what they want to do. You'd always start with uh, a job, apprenticeship, etc. And at least from there, you can see whether you like it or not, and what what fits, what particular industry. Again, you've got likes and dislikes there. Um, not working on company is not always for everybody. Um, but if the person is quite entrepreneurial and has the wherewithal and uh, let's say mental strength to do it, uh, great. Um, but I still think it's worthwhile starting with a working for a company first, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. find your feet, then move on. You're going to learn a lot of experience, all the other soft skills about working with people, teams, procedures, everything about running a company. You're going to learn a bit of it by working for other companies. Work for a few before you actually strive on your own. That's some basic advice I would uh, give to people. Now, just to take our conversation in a slightly different vein, um, if I was to ask you to identify the greatest leader, living or dead, who would that be? Greatest leader. Mm. Difficult, I know. There's so many of them. It's like, it's like many celebrities that you know about. You, you read about them, but you, you don't know them personally. Um, you read about some people, I mean, people like Lord Sugar, who's been quite inspirational, um, Richard Branson. But again, I don't know these people. They're perfectly nice people. But I don't know, people I've, I've known personally have a personal mentors. When I was a, uh, a recent graduate, 
I was very fortunate to have a guy who was uh, an ex um, a Navy chap, he was a, a commander. He was the chief engineer for the company. His specialty was electronics and software. So he was, I was his mentee. And he told me lots of stuff about life, business. I traveled quite a lot with him as well. Um, I worked for an international company at the time. We spent a lot of time able to uh, discuss stuff on business trips and things. Um, so he was quite uh, influential to me. And he was probably one of the people who helped me, or didn't help me, but perhaps gave the inspiration to actually set up my own company. So shortly after graduating, I was speaking about this. And over the next few years, since graduating, I, uh, I then took a step and did that. So there's been quite a few other people as well who have been good mentors. My dad, to some extent, um, but he's still alive, but he's you know, in a bit of frail state at the moment. Mm-hmm. But he taught me an awful lot of stuff. As a lad, I, always, I shadowed him. I was always around with him, and he showed me all sorts of stuff. He's a very talented man. Did many things, metal, woodwork, engines, stuff. He would fix them, repair them, get them working beautifully again. So I was, I was fortunate enough to be with him. And he showed me lots of stuff, which I, I use today. I'm trying to pass those skills on to my son as well. Yeah. It's important to today. have that, that generation, the generation uh, uh, knowledge uh, being passed mm-hmm. down. Um, now, unfortunately, our time together is very quickly drawing to its close. But before I let okay. you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for Abram Associates? Quite exciting. The last next last year or two have been very busy for us. Um, we have our customers are growing, and we've got lots of projects on the go. Um, we've got a new business premises. We've moved in in the last few years. We've been getting that sorted to how we want it to be. There's plenty of office space, and we're able to grow and fill that space with, with people and uh, resources to carry on doing engine design work and probably branch into some own products as well. So exciting times. Well, fantastic. Um, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure discussing leadership with you, and I very much hope you come back on the program in the near future to update us on how things are going. Uh, Mark, thank you. Thank you very much. That was Mark Newland, owner and managing director of Abram Associates. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did... Uh, score nothing for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time being stuck between the two sports and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer but um, 
whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd work with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peters? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the caliber of the players I did. Again, mm-hmm. again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain. Um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier he played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership uh, well, I do. I do understand clearly. All walks of life, leadership is at the top. is absolutely vital for a, a for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident. I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships. And you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships. You could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you, that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership and that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that, but obviously... Uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? 
well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alfred Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who, who had on me um, as a person. Um, naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time, it, maybe overly strict. But at the time, you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and so I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second, I think... Mm. I was just happy to be you know, be involved in the squad initially. 
Um, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both they're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the the other ridiculous question I get asked: Did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that's." Uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had, look, had a glance around, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you too. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever. Which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we, um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the you know, Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden I had a, somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> What a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make a laugh again, that day. Put, 
if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I, I think probably... It would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitches. People must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with? Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. Their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely, that's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson is just absolutely. Mm. You've got to take him as the first example. But Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the twenty-five, twenty-six, twenty-seven years that. Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, no question at all. 
I think they, uh, Ron Green was, yeah, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that, that that role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, 
and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.